I have by my bedside a shelf and I have a collection of books and my wife cautions me about getting too many books collected on that shelf. But on that shelf is uh, one of my favorite books uh, by a good friend, personal friend and acquaintance, Brother Howard Bean, a entirely good minister. And occasionally I, I pick up that book and, and read it. I was reading through that just recently and as I was reading I skimmed back through to the very back, which is also a habit of mine. I oftentimes go to the back of a book. And uh, in the back of that book, he has listed sermon topics, suggestions. And beyond that, he has sermons that should be preached. I believe it says uh, uh, annually. He has a list of sermons that topically wise that should be preached annually. And then he has a list of sermons. There's 25 sermons that should be preached annually. Uh, so there's 52 Sundays in a year. Probably a few more sermons if you want to count uh, Sunday evening services. But... Uh, so he had 25 suggestions there, and then he had uh, 100 sermon topics that should be preached in a one- to three-year schedule, and uh, then there was 125 topics that he thought would be in the four- to eight-year schedule. <laughs> that was his uh, uh, calculation on some of the uh, topics that we discussed from time to time from the pulpit. And as I was skimming down over them, and I'm not sure why, uh, I've been thinking about this before, uh, the sermon and thoughts that I want to share with you this morning are on the thoughts of humility. And uh, Dennis, uh, last Sunday, shared with us on the thoughts of surrender, a very challenging sermon to me. I thought it was one that I needed. And I think it complements the idea of humility. It certainly takes humility to surrender. And uh, so this morning I want to look at what God has to say uh, in his word to us about humility. Humility is indeed a a mark of Christianity. It's something that uh, is a distinct mark of Christianity, dare I say. There are people that could practice humility that are not Christians, but I think Christ, uh, Christians in general should be portrayers of humility in a very real sense. And I don't know when, I didn't look back. I, I don't know if anybody keeps track uh, when the last time humility was preached here in this pulpit. We get pretty close uh, at least twice a year when we talk about the uh, feet washing uh, experience at communion, which is a portrayal of humility. We all, we typically read John 13, uh, where Christ, who was Lord, part of God, humbly knelt down and washed his disciples' feet. And we talk about that. We talk about humility and how we ought to express that in our, our walk and action of life. Not that we, we, we do it here in that service, but it needs to be fleshed out in a, in a, in a, in a greater dimension in our walk of life. There is another virtue, another Christian virtue that is closely related to humility, and that is the, as I meditated on humility, I thought about the aspect of meekness, and I, I thought, well, you know, what, what is the difference between humility and meekness? And I like this expression that I came across, uh, and it gave me a defining Understanding of the two different uh, aspects of meekness versus humility. Meekness is a very close twin to humility, and it has more to do how I relate to others. Moses is said to be the meekest man, and it was in his relationship to the people that were under his charge that that meekness found its expression. Meekness to me in my life, in my walk, is, is going to be how I relate to you or those that come in contact with me. In contrast, Humility has more to do how I view myself. 
What is my view of who I am or who you are as you look at yourself? Another thought I say, thought about meekness is strength in control. We sometimes are tempted to think meekness is weakness and it is not that. It's absolutely not that, but rather meekness is strength in control. And I also was challenged as I thought about everyone who is humble is likely meek and likely vice versa. Those who are meek will likely be humble. So there are twin virtues, but this morning we want to focus primarily on the aspect of humility and how it uh, it uh, expresses itself in our walk and action of life. I want to first of all look at some of the nature of humility and turning your Bibles to Philippians chapter 2. And you may have known I was probably going to go there already in Philippians chapter 2. Where else could we look but at the life of Christ to understand what humility is like or about? So we think about the nature of humility. It's uh, in Philippians chapter 2. I want to read verses 5 through 8. It's Christ-likeness. Beginning at verse uh, Philippians 2 verse 5. Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant that was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself, and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. And I'll stop reading there. I have four things that I I see here in in the nature of humility that we need to flesh out and understand. The first one is in verse 5. It says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. That has to do with our thoughts, our thinking patterns. Uh, what takes place within the mental facility of our being here this morning and throughout our walk of life? Uh, are my thoughts about self? Or are my thoughts in contrast about service? How can I benefit others? What can I do to help? How can I help you? You look at what the writer here of the Philippians is challenging us. He says we need to have that same thought pattern, that same thought concept, that we have that same mind that was in Christ Jesus, a a thought pattern of, of Self being put away and a being of use and service in God's kingdom and to others. The second thing that I notice is in verse 6. It says, who being in the form of God thought it not robbery to be equal with God. And I like to suggest this has to do with vision. When we look at Christ, who of us has any platform to stand on and to boast of our potential? or of our contribution to society, or culture, or church, or family, or community. When we look at Christ, when my vision, when I look at Christ, someone has, barring a quote, and I don't know who this quote is credited to, but it says, we should never look down on anyone unless we're helping them up. Never look down on anyone unless we're actually being of good to them and helping them up. Thinking about the idea of vision, you know, it really doesn't matter our last name. It doesn't matter our gender. We talked about created male and female, man and woman. And it doesn't matter about position in life. Really does not matter. We are all equal before God. 
God has a plan. God has a purpose for each one of us here this morning. And uh, it has to do with me understanding that vision of what God wants from me and what God has in store for you as well. I thought of the, just going back a few pages here, one page actually in Philippians, the Apostle Paul, I think, puts it in, in a real good point perspective. Uh, Philippians chapter 3, beginning at verse 4. He says, Though I might also have confidence in the flesh, if any other man thinketh that he hath, whereof he might trust in the flesh, I more. Circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, and Hebrew of the Hebrews, as touching the law, a Pharisee, concerning seal, persecuting the church, touching the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. But what things were gained to me, those I counted lost for Christ. Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss, for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dumb, that I may win Christ, and be found in him, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through faith, the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being made conformable unto his death. If by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead, not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect, but I follow after, if that I may apprehend that for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before. I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Let us, therefore, as many be perfect, be thus minded. And if anything ye be otherwise minded, God shall reveal even this unto you. And I'll stop reading there. But I think Paul there had a perspective that we need to emulate in our vision. We need to forget all that which is behind, all the credentials that we think we have accumulated over life. It's really nothing. It's only as God works in our lives that we can be of any value and worth in his kingdom. Has to do with thoughts, has to do with thoughts, has to do with vision. The nature of humility. What's taking place up here? What am I seeing as I focus? The second thing that I, or pardon me, the third thing that I notice here in this passage here in Philippians chapter 2 is it has to do with choices. Okay? Humility has to do with choices. And we see that in verse 7. It says, it's talking about Christ here, but it says, but he, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. Christ made a choice to become like man so that we, you and I this morning, could become Christ-like. To me, that's an impressive truth. Jesus Christ made that choice to be willing to be a sacrifice in our behalf on Calvary so that he became man so that we could become Christ-like. It's a choice. Now, we didn't have that choice. Each one of us here this morning had no choice in becoming a part of the human race. We were brought here on choices outside of our control into the human family. You're here by default. But you know, we do have a choice in the second birth. Each one of us here this morning can have that choice to choose to be Christ-like. 
Whether we want to choose to continue on in our carnal nature, our carnal way, that's a choice. At some point in life, we will have to be faced with that decision, whether we want to continue down that walk of course of life and be, be follow the nature of humanity, the downfall of nature of humanity, which we very closely were at in our Sunday school lesson, or we can take that outward climb away toward being Christ-like. It's a, it's a choice that we have to make. So we do have that choice. Christ made that choice in our behalf so that we could be Christ-like. The fourth thing that I notice here in this passage is I think of the nature of humility. In verse 8 it says, So Christ not only took upon him the form of a man and lived and walked in, among humanity here, but he also, being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Now, death is something that equalizes all of us. It, it, it's something, it's part, of, it's part of our human life. We know that at some point we will face that. It's a humiliating thing in a certain sense, in, in one sense, for the fact that it doesn't matter what you have accomplished in life. Death has a way of equalizing all of us. It doesn't matter how how vast of resources you've accumulated. I'm just doing some reading. Uh, I'm not sure where Warren Buffett is on the list of richest men, but he's one of the richest men in the world, I think. Worth billions of dollars, investor. And uh, so I was reading just a little bit about him and what I read, he said he's he's giving away ninety nine percent of his worth. He's eighty, I think he's eighty nine years old, so he's pretty close to. The, he's lived longer than probably the Bible would have told us here, three score years and ten. But he's he's already put in place that he's going to give away ninety nine percent of his wealth uh, to charities, and his family will receive one percent, which is probably still a pretty substantial amount of, of worth. I don't know how many children he had. I didn't really check that out. But I found that somewhat challenging that, uh, you know, he at least was, you know, focused in that way, that he was going to pass that on to charities and uh, hopefully good charities that are going to, to benefit. But, you know, that's thinking about that in relation to, to time. And, you know, that what are we doing with time? Uh, you know, we, we move from time into eternity. And, uh, you know, we don't choose the amount of time that we have here in life. It's, it's a gift from God. Each day that God gives us, it's a gift from Him. And, uh, after that, you know, our, our, our opportunities in this life are, are done. And what we have done in this time is, is, uh, is, you know, it's, it's, it's settled. And, uh, we have no second choice at that. You know, it means passing into eternity. We uh, we depart from this life, and uh, we leave that time, our departure, into the hands of God. It's interesting to notice. I thought too, here in Philippians, it says it mentions Christ humbled Himself, not just a normal death, what we might call a normal death, but it says even. The death of the cross. I don't know if that stood out to you or not, but it says even the death of the cross. The most despised death that anyone could probably experience in, in that time. The death of the cross. Christ humbled himself to go through that so that we could be Christ-like. Talk about 
understanding the nature of humility and look at what Christ went through. Suffering not only the death of the cross, the cruel death of the cross, but suffering it somewhat silently. Only a few phrases uttered as he hung there on the cross. And uh, and in those phrases were no malice, no uh, revenge, just simply an acceptance of of what man thought they could divvy out to him. One of the things that I thought about hum, uh, humility and, and the way death affects us, you know, it, uh, you know, the fact that Christ humbled himself to, uh, to experience that, if you look at the, uh, um, I wanted to mention in Matthew chapter 27, I thought that was interesting. We probably have referred to this before. But in Matthew 27, Christ hung on the cross there in, the, in verses 62 through uh, 67. You know, the, uh, it says, Now the next day that followed the day of the preparation, the chief priests and Pharisees came again together on the pilot, saying, Sir, we remember that this deceiver said, While he was yet alive, after three days I will rise again. Command, therefore, that the sepulcher be made sure until the third day lest his disciples come by night and steal him away and say unto the people, He is risen from the dead, so that the last error shall be worse than the first error. And I thought that's that's a confession on their part. They said that the last error shall be worse than the first error. They seem to be acknowledging that that there was an error there, at least in our the way our King James reads here, and I didn't read it in other translations. And we know that Pilate's response was, he said, uh, you've got to watch, go and make it sure. And... Uh, but because Christ was was willing to humble himself and experience death, physical death, like you and I will sometime experience, and even the death of the cross, he took away that that fear of death. And I'd like to just read a few verses out of the resurrection chapter. And, uh, you know, the uh, scribes and Pharisees were wanted to make so sure that he did not, his that didn't happen. And yet we need that. We need that to happen. That resurrection needs to take place because it's what we have our faith in. Uh, if we don't believe in the resurrection, our faith is empty and vain, according to the scripture. First Corinthians chapter 15, the resurrection chapter, reading at uh, verse 49, just a few verses I want to read. And as we have borne the image of the earthly, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly. Now, I find that fascinating. We're talking about bearing the image of God. We do bear the image of the earthly, but... In that dimension, we also need to bear the image of the heavenly. And that is accomplished by surrendering our hearts and lives to Christ and walking in humility before him, that we can accurately bear the image of the heavenly. Verse 50, Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Neither doth corruption inherit in corruption. Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In the moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this incorruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption, and this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. We have victory over death this morning. That humiliating thing that 
We have no control over the physical death that our bodies will encounter. We have victory of that through the Lord Jesus Christ as well as the spiritual death. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be you steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Well, those are some uh, natures of humility as we uh, looked at the experiences of our Lord. I'd like to look secondly at some expressions of humility. First one, as I meditated on expressions of humility, uh, a very simple expression is that of thank you. It's a recognition of our need of others and what they have provided me with or you with. Pride would say I can handle it myself. Pride would say I don't need what you have to offer me. But when I say thank you, I'm receiving what you have shared. I'm receiving what you have contributed to my life. God didn't build us that way. God created us as social beings. We need that interaction. We need each other. We need to express that thank you to each other. Because we need, and it helps to recognize our dependence on each other. God built us. God designed us that way. The second expression of humility, and these are all very simple, is uh, the aspect of listening. Humility, a humble person will be a listening person, I believe. And uh, to be a good listener, I'm told you need to make face and eye contact. And that sometimes is not always the easiest thing to do. Listening, make face and eye contact. We need to focus. We need to be attentive. We need to not... We can maybe do that. You can force yourself to make eye contact. You can force yourself to look and be a, look attentive. But what's taking place up here in our minds sometimes is a, a totally different thing. We're already formulating conclusions of what we think the answers are to what the person is talking about. Well, we need to focus to be attentive. Listen to what that person is saying. Don't preform conclusions till the person is finished. And even then it's okay to say, well, let me think about it for a day or two. And we don't need to apologize about that or for that, I believe. It may be all right sometimes to have an answer. Uh, and I tend to have two quick answers many times. But it's challenging to think that, you know, we need to, we often do best, at least I do, if I think about it for a period of time. It's also suggested to be a better listener. We need to listen to the person's expression and also look for the nonverbal cues of what the person is saying. can give us a better understanding of really what that person is trying to verbalize. All of us aren't skilled in using words many times, and uh, we sometimes, the things come out wrong or different than what we intended them to, but listen to the non, for nonverbal cues. And last, for sure, don't interrupt. Be patient. Uh, hear the person out. The third expression of humility is, I'm sorry. It's admitting wrong, that I have, uh, I have wronged you. And uh, placing or passing the blame on others is easy, and it's the natural thing that our human nature wants to do. We always are looking for excuses, aren't we? But, you know, when it comes from the heart to say that I'm sorry, it takes courage. And it, it, that person will understand that I value this relationship that I broke or violated. And it's oftentimes when I'm willing to say I'm sorry, it's the first step of the healing process. Uh, 
also. I was challenged with this truth, and it hit me very, really close. It says, I'm sorry, and then we follow with the word but. A sincere apology does not include the word but. You know, we like to, human nature wants to give that expression of sorrow, and then we want to excuse ourselves with that three-letter word, but. If it's sincere, if the apology and the sorry are sincere, I don't think the word but needs to, will be included in it. How good am I at mending fences? You want to know? Look at the life of Jesus Christ, and we all have room to grow. Think of the golf that he spanned when he spanned that golf of sinful nature between a sinful mankind and a holy God. Jesus Christ was provided what was needed. Am I willing to mend the fences on a horizontal way as well? Jesus spanned that gulf as he silently hung on the cross and suffered at the hands of cruel, evil men. Fourthly, an expression, as we think of expressions of humility, when I do talk, what do I talk about? We need to watch out for the self-pronouns of I, me, and mine. Why not compliment others and tell them how much you appreciate them? Or talk about your best friend, Jesus. Praise him and his work. Dwight mentioned that in relation to the, the, uh, the aspect of the Mother Earth or the weather, who is in control of all that. While we are stewards of that, I agree, we need to be wise stewards of that, but yet God is in control of, of uh, the weather that we are blessed with. Appreciated this quote. Humility is not thinking less of yourself, but it's thinking of yourself less. You may have heard that before. Humility is not thinking less of yourself, it's thinking of yourself less. Fifthly, expressions of humility. You want to be attractive? I believe a person, I believe a humble person will be attractive, will be an attractive person. Verse in the Old Testament. Micah chapter 6, verse 8. He has showed thee, O man, what is good, and what doth the Lord require of thee but to do justly, and to love mercy, and to walk humbly with thy God. We are created in the image of God, as we were talking about in the Sunday school lesson, as I have already referred to. And uh, I believe a humble person will... Bear the image of God and make you attractive. I also, Romans chapter 12, as we think about how much we should think about ourselves or how we should think about ourselves, Romans 12 verse 3 is a very good verse. For I say through the grace given unto me, the grace given unto me, grace given unto each one of you, that which we didn't deserve, grace is that which we didn't deserve, grace which enables us to be Christ-like, to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, according as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. You want to know how to be attractive? Focus on Christ. And allow God to fill your life with his characteristics and humility.
You know, it's not the all the potions you can buy. It's not all the workouts you can do. But it's being Christ-like that really makes us attractive. And there we have the dosage prescribed there in verse 3. You think of the grace that God has given to each one of us beyond measure. That's, I say through the grace given unto me, that's how much I need to allow God to fill me and to allow His graces to repeat and emulate themselves through my being. In conclusion, turn to 1 Peter chapter 5. We talked about these verses just a little bit Wednesday evening in what Davy was sharing. I want to read 1 Peter 5, verse 5. And actually, Peter here is actually talking to church leaders here. So you can listen in as we talk to ourselves this morning. He says, Likewise, ye younger, submit yourselves unto the elder. Yea, all of you, so it includes you, yea, all of you be subject one to another, and be clothed with humility. For God resisteth the proud and giveth grace to the humble. Humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about, seeking whom he may devour. Whom resid steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. But the God of all grace, who hath called us unto his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after that ye have suffered a while, make you perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Clothed with humility. The commentator tells us here in First Peter that Peter may have been reflecting back to the feet-washing experience that we have recorded in John 13. That he may have been with, with, with remorse, remembering his refusal of Jesus stooping to wash his feet, and how he, in pride, refused that. We're not for sure, but the commentator suggested that he may have been thinking about John 13, and how that we need to embody that humility in service to one another. God resists the proud, He giveth grace to the humble, which is what we need. And then he mentions, he says in verses 8 and 9, he says, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil, who is the source of pride and and carnality and all wickedness, seeks to come about. And we have enough of pride in any one of us here this morning that it's a threat to us. We need to be reminded of the need of Christ in our life and, and, and the humility that needs to find its nature and expression in our Christian walk. Verse 10, I like verse 10, but God, the God of all grace who hath called us unto his eternal glory by Christ Jesus. After that we have suffered a while. We don't like that word suffer, but after we have maybe been humiliated in times, He will make us perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle us. This is the value, I believe, that God places on humility. He brings suffering in our experiences. He brings those trying times into our experiences many times so that we are humbled and recognize our need of Him. So we think about humility. One of the cautions that we have is, you know, that Once we think we have achieved it, it's likely that we've probably just lost it. Humility is is something that is is very 
elusive. And if we focus on it, humble people many times will not, and maybe always, will never realize it or express or or verbalize it. Elizabeth Bibeso says this, Blessed are those who give without remembering and take without forgetting. Another quote by Ezra Benson, Pride is concerned with who is right, and humility is concerned with what is right. So as we think of the aspect of humility, it's something that will make you and I more Christ-like. It will make us into a, uh, a more glorious body as a congregation, I believe, as we think of humility, as we think of working together and uh, for His glory. May His praise, may, may be all to His praise for that purpose and end. Let's kneel for prayer. <clears throat> Lord, as we are bowed on bended knees this morning before you, may our hearts and minds be bowed as well. We are so small. We are so insignificant before you. We need you, Lord. We want to thank you for what you have done on Calvary and in our lives. Lord, we pray your continued blessing on the word as it was shared this morning, that your spirit would take it in and it would bear fruit in our lives for your praise and for our sustenance and our our ability to understand uh, humility and to walk and serve like you did. Forgetting self, denying self, and committing ourselves to your work in whatever dimension and aspect you have called us to. Lord, we know the needs in each heart and life that are here this morning. And uh, may you, by your Spirit, supply those needs. We know that you're a great God. And uh, there's nothing that is beyond your ability this morning. We pray, Father, you would take the truth of your word and uh, help us to be more Christ-like and more accurately bear your image as we've discussed even in the Sunday School lesson. Lord, we pray that you would uh, bless us together as a group, help us to uh, always be mindful of others and uh, their needs in their lives, help us be sensitive to the needs in their lives, and that we too we, as we relate to each other, can be a channel of, of uh, your love and uh, your help and meet the needs of those as we share together in the brotherhood. Again, Lord, we pray that you would uh, bless us and uh, keep us in your care as we